0: I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: I know these pathways like the ba-
0: Taken from her new album, There Are Birds, that is the music of my guest today on the program, Stephanie Seymour. Let me tell you a little bit about Stephanie Seymour. Now, to do this story justice, I gotta take you all the way back to 1988, when I was 18 years old and a freshman in college. Just to do the math for you, by the way, if I was 18 in 1988, in 2019, that makes me 27. Okay, so I'm a scrappy Jewish kid raised in the public school system of the Bay Area, and I go to college at a private Catholic university. Needless to say, uh, I wasn't fitting in. And uh, it became very clear very early on, in fact, that I would never fit in. But that was okay, because at that point in my life, I had already gotten used to the feeling of never fitting in anywhere. So, you know, no big deal. Uh, although, you know, they tell you college is the four best years of your life, and I was staring down four years that were clearly not going to be the best four years of my life, and they weren't. Maybe I'll save that for a future podcast. Uh, the title of that one will be called Sex I Didn't Have in College. So, just to recap, there were no girls interested in me, I wasn't accepted in any social circle, and, uh, I was generally very much alone. But something saved me, and that something was the campus radio station. Within the first week of college, I was already the music director of KSMC, and that was my haven. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I telling you this story of uh, such poignant American collegiate sadness, and what the hell does it have to do with Stephanie Seymour? Well, it has a lot to do with Stephanie Seymour. Here's why. My closest friends in college, especially in those first few pivotal months— were the college radio reps that I talked to on the phone practically every day. And you guessed it, Stephanie Seymour was one of them. She worked for Island Records, she was out in New York, I was in California, and we chatted like old pals. It's true, we just totally hit it off. She always asked how I was, we chatted for a bit, and those phone calls, though they weren't lengthy, they meant a lot to me. In my collegiate desolation, it was just nice to know that there was a voice at the other end of the line, three hours away, who I'd never met, who was always nice to me. And you know what? All these years later, I've never forgotten that kindness. All right, all right, enough about me. Let's talk about Stephanie. So who is Stephanie Seymour? Well, let me tell you. Now, Stephanie Seymour is a drummer, and I'm going to let her tell you what got her playing drums in the first place, but I'm going to tell you what got her to stop playing the drums, at least temporarily college. After kicking around in some high school bands, Seymour went to college, and because she couldn't take her drums with her, she stopped playing for a bit. But after college, she joined the band The Aquanettas, and their blend of classic rock riffs and new wave surf found them played all over MTV, they opened for Nine Inch Nails, and they got themselves a huge fan in no other than Joan Osborne, who was known for covering their songs live. The Aquanettas broke up in 1995 and Seymour went on to play with Psychic Penguin, The New Ugly, and her own band Birdie. And to borrow a bird-like phrase, it was in these bands that Seymour began her musical migration from the drums to more singer-songwriter material. We'll come back to birds in about 30 seconds, but first, let me tell you this. In spite of all this activity, somewhere around 2009, Seymour decided to take time off from music, and what she did in that decade away from the kit and the mic, well, I'll let her tell you all that. The only reason why I don't want to say anything is because in the interview, when she tells me what she's been up to for the last 10 years, it comes as a complete surprise. So, selfishly, I want you to be surprised with me. Okay, back to birds. Seymour's new album, There Are Birds, is a soaring song cycle filled with rich melodies, irresistible harmonies, and sneaky pop hooks. Not only that, it's got layers of musical flourishes that bring to mind The Pretender's Get Close and Matthew Sweet's Altered Beast. From the lush northern mockingbird to the playful stomp of ruby-crowned kinglet, it's a stirring concept album about... Well, birds, yes, of course, but also about the decisions we make, the people we know, the people we used to know, and the world flying past us faster than we realize. It's an album about getting older, staying young, and feeling free. And it's just beautifully done. Now, thematically, those things I just mentioned are very adult things, I know that. But, as Victor Hugo once wrote, Be as a bird perched on a frail branch that she feels bending beneath her she still sings away all the same knowing she has wings enjoy my chat with my dear pal stephanie seymour and by the way this is the first time we've spoken in like 30 years so it's really cool all right all right enjoy the chat right here on stereo embers the podcast we spoke was like 1989
2: (laughs) yeah that's probably right because that's pretty much well you graduated right
0: well I i graduated in 92
2: oh okay well, I and mean, and I left for uh, in like 1990 to go on tour. Right. But that was the middle of the summer, so for some reason, whatever, yeah. Anyway, right. It was something like that. So, oh my god.
0: <laughs> I know. So it's been it's been I know it's literally been over 30 years. Um, oh, it's insane. I know, and we used to talk all the time. So I think you actually tell me if I'm if my my memory is correct. So the records yeah. that you worked at Island. Yes. Uh, you introduced me to Oswad.
2: Oswad, totally, yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: Kim Rogers.
2: Kim, which, I I sent you that email. Did you see my email about Kim?
0: That you remember? No, I didn't see that.
2: Oh my God. Kim friended me maybe, like, a little while ago. And and I'm like, gee, that name sounds familiar. Like, I have the worst memory ever. (laughs) (laughs) And I, like, accepted her friend request and... And then she emailed me. She's like, I was just talking with Alex Green. Oh. And, you know, you turn his, my music on to him, and if it wasn't for you. And I'm like, oh, my God, Kim. And so we've been talking. It's just so – it's like such a small world.
0: I know. She. Oh, I love her. You, okay, remember the, there was also the Heretics?
2: The Heretics from Boston. From mm-hmm. Boston.
0: Uh, you introduced me to Peter Himmelman.
2: Who is still playing and still making music? Yeah, I
0: love him, and uh, I think you I did the uh, Rattle and Hum record for you too. Indeed,
2: my friend. Indeed.
0: Right? So yeah, I did uh, Joshua Tree
2: and Rattle and Hum. Yeah.
0: Right. It was you and uh, and Howie were my were my point people.
2: Okay. Yeah, because Howie was in L.A. Obviously. Yeah. 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 He was in the L.A. office.
0: Right. Yeah. So you and I we yeah. chatted all the time, um, and so and at any rate, there's been a long uh, distance between, since we last spoke. So how you been?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's insane. I've been fine. I've been good. How have you been?
0: (laughs) I have been well.
2: When I first emailed you, I was like, yeah, that, again, your name sounds familiar, but like, you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm thinking like Alex, then when you, like the set, the second you wrote back to me, I was like, Oh my God, it's Alex, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's me. And, um, and the funny thing is, is that when I was talking to you, I didn't know that you were the drummer of the Aquanetas back in 89. I didn't know that.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, that's why I actually left the island to go on tour. And then when we got, I'm trying to think, then when we were done with our tour, my boss from island had already moved to Charisma Records. And he said, if you need to, you know, get a new job when you come back, just call me. So I was like, "Yeah, I need a job." So I called him, and I started working at Charisma, and then it turned, and then we folded back into Virgin. So then I was at Virgin forever, you know. I was at Virgin until like two thousand two.
0: And then you sent me the first birdie record around that time. Is that is my memory right? Did I? I think so. Um, okay. Right.
1: Uh, That would have been the
2: first birdie record. Would have been 1998. So then the second one was around 2001 or something. But yes.
0: Okay. Okay. So which is the one that's just called Birdie? Is that number number one?
2: Actually, there's not one that's just called Birdie. There's the first. The first one's called Supernominal Paraphernalia. Okay. But it has a big birdie. Like you might think it's just called Birdie because it's the main like thing you see on the cover. But then the second one is called Quarantine.
0: Okay, so I'm thinking of the first one that fooled me into thinking it was called Birdie. Uh
2: huh. Yes, with the big yellow cover. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so let's go back for a second, and then we'll we'll go forward. Um, Yeah. It wasn't uncommon for people in bands to work at labels.
2: It wasn't. No.
0: But you were one of those people that you didn't really bring it up. You were. You were actually. You kept it very kosher.
2: I mean, also because in maybe in 88 when we started speaking or maybe we even started in 87 I can't remember but I wasn't in the Aquanettes yet so I joined them at the I joined them in 1989 Okay so I might not have I might not have brought it up I I don't know I mean I did talk about it it's not like it was something that I wanted to keep private or anything I just didn't announce it I guess all the time you know and if it came up it came up but I didn't feel like spreading the word, you know, all the time. I guess right. it wasn't probably the right thing to do.
0: <laughs> right. You're like, uh, "Hey, listen, let, let's talk about this new U2 album, but 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 first, the Aquanettas are on tour." Um <laughs> but I remember the Aquanettas were on Network. Is that am I remembering that correctly?
2: You are. It was like Network/IRS slash in the states. It was IRS.
0: Right. Okay. Um so tell me this. Tell me what happened to the Aquanettas, and then tell me how Birdie got started, and then let's talk about all the space in between, what, I don't know, uh, 2009 and 2019, <laughs> okay? All right, so what happened to the Aquanettas?
2: Yes, okay. So, well, okay, so the Aquan- uh, the Aquanettas had been started way before me, and they had, it wasn't an all girl band at that point, they had a guy drummer, so... I heard from my friend Sherry that they were looking for another drummer and that she really wanted me to join them but I hadn't played in a few years but I had like you know when I was in college I didn't play drums so I went to see them play and I was like yeah this is cool I want to join this band and so they just said why don't you get your chops back and practice and rehearse a little while and learn our song and after a few months I just I felt like ready and we had a rehearsal together and we were all really tight and it was like this it just fell into place so i was i became their drummer and like not long after i think it was new music seminar in 1989 i don't remember what month that was but it was probably summer that's when they saw us at rodeo bar and mark jowett from um, network signed us and then we made our record in 1989 in november and it came out in march of 1990. So then I went on tour with them in the summer and, you know, we, we played, we had a kind of a longish run, but it was not always with network IRS. So we had an EP come out on Rockville. I think it was 91 called Roadhouse. (laughs) And then we had a friend who was you remember the band House of Love? I do. The, um, our friend Chris in that band had a record label in the U.K. called Plastic Records, so he put out a few of our singles over in the U.K., and we went over there maybe tw- yeah twice. We, we toured the U.K. a few times, so that was sort of, that was 92, and I think by about 93, we we're just kind of winding it down. And just not, you know, we wanted to remain friends, all of us, and we didn't want it to be like one of those, you know, insane situations where everyone starts hating each other. So we we're like, you know what, it's time to call it quits. So, um, and so shortly thereafter, or actually was during the very end of the Aquanetas, in about 1995, my friend Adam Roth asked me to join his band called Psychic Penguin. So that was... um. Yeah, it was like it was 1995, and that lasted for a couple of years. And in that band, I was playing percussion, so I was sort of switching over from playing. I played a little drums, I played a little percussion, and I would sing back up. It was like a four part harmony, like total pop jam band it was awesome. And we would all switch instruments, like we'd all rotate kind of. And uh, as that sort of wound down, that's when I had started writing my own stuff for Brodie. So by that, by the end of that band. I was like, you know, I just want to be a full-on lead singer or songwriter kind of thing, and that's when I formed, formed Birdie. And, um, you know, I don't know if you know anything about the the label we we actually collectively owned, which is called Crop Duster. Yes, because everybody that was like on the label was also like the the owners of the label. It was like a cool co-op kind of thing.
0: Yeah, um, I remember I got a Bob yeah. Perry record, and and, his, and yeah, Bob yeah. right? His his first. I don't know if it was his first one, but man, that the first Bob Perry record that came out on Crop Duster is kind of a classic.
2: It's amazing, and that is my husband. That is my now husband.
0: Wait, Bob Perry's your? Hu- I didn't know that.
2: <laughs> yes, he, and he—he—that's he, he, how we met. We met for, during Crop Duster, and we were like friends for like five years. He was in my band. I was in his band. We all, cause we all like all the bands kind of like rotated members too. It was pretty funny, but um, yeah, he. And so he – actually, he's on the new There Are Birds record. He, he produced it. He played guitar on it. He mixed it. He co-engineered it. He did it – like, if it wasn't for Bob, th- this new record wouldn't even exist. But, uh, yeah, that's how we met.
0: Holy Pretty cow. Crazy. I didn't know that. I Well, I'm glad that I picked the right Crop Duster record to be a classic. He's going to love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that record is so good. I, I remember when it first came out, and I thought, this – this needs to be huge. This is such a yeah. class. It's an instant classic. You're,
2: you're talking about light fuse run away. Yeah, yes, yes. An record. And then he he just put. You know, it's funny because he had recorded a second record, and then we sort of cropped us or sort of dissolved. Um, it was like right after we put out the second Birdie record, and then everything kind of fizzled and whatever. But. Uh, <laughs> He has an uh, record called American Standardsville that he just put out a little while ago to the general public, but that was actually recorded back then. And if you think Light Fuse Runaway is a classic, American Standardsville is going to blow your mind. So I'll get that
0: to you. Get that too. I'd love to hear it. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Pl- please tell him. I, I I love that record so much.
2: Oh, that's great. I I totally will.
0: Okay. Good. Yeah. It sounds like it love sounds like you that. see him every now and then. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm yeah, curious, yeah. Were, had you sort of stepped away from the drums before you joined the Aquanet Like you'd kind of... Yeah. Okay.
2: So so I had, well, I, I used to play in high school. And then when I went to, to school at NYU, I, I couldn't bring my drum set with me. <laughs> so I uh, pretty much just, I don't know, I didn't really play. I was in, I was in a little, um, I was in a band that I had a little percussion set up with my friend Jeff late who we were we were called the triple b band beatbox band we, we were heavily influenced by big audio dynamite
1: <laughs> i'm not
2: kidding <laughs> <laughs> um but i really didn't play drums in college so that's why i kind of had to brush up you know when i joined the Aquanettas.
0: what was it about the drums originally that attracted you to them as an instrument of choice
1: uh,
2: well i just like naturally was drawn to them like I knew I could play the drums. I just I just ever since I was like 8 or 9 years old I would walk around with drumsticks and like hit in coffee cans. You know, I I just knew that I was I would have that ability. I don't know why. I just knew it and it's funny because it kind of runs in my family. My uncle and all my cousins are drummers and I don't know. It was just sort of an innate thing that I felt felt like drawn to.
0: Yeah, cuz I was thinking like, you know, for in terms of like public public you know, consciousness of like a good high profile female drummer. My first awareness would be Gina shock, but I was 11 or 12 at the time.
2: That's the, that's literally the person that her and Stuart Copeland were my idols. And that is why I started playing drums. Like when I saw them play at the garden, the go-go's open for the police. And it was like 82. That was, that was it. That was the spark.
0: What what was it about? Because they're very different drummers. I mean, Gina Schock was really a punk drummer, and Stuart Copeland was really, I mean, even though he played in sort of a, you know, I mean, you can call the police punk for a moment, but he was really yeah. sort of a technician in in many ways. What was it about their two styles that spoke to you?
1: I think that
2: for Gina, it was like I, she, she's almost like a straight up Charlie Watts loving straight beat kind of gal you know she just held it down with great fills and here and there but you know just really I don't want to say basic that doesn't that means that doesn't that's not conveying what I mean but more of a straight up drummer you know like holding down the beat Stuart Copeland on the other hand like you're right he was all over the place like reggae overtones really almost sometimes just straight up reggae um Fancy style, just flashy, and I think I, I I think I'm drawn to both kinds of styles. I know I could play like more like Gina, and also just seeing a woman playing drums to me was I don't know. I mean, to, and also like someone like Sheila E. Like seeing a woman going nuts on the drums was just very inspiring. Um, but the Police are like my favorite band in the whole world, so I don't know. Just I love Stewart. I just think he's amazing, and there's nobody like him, and their sound was very unique, you know, a three-piece sparse kind of sound with the fills in the right place. It was just, it was, like, amazing to see.
0: How did it feel? He's my favorite drummer, too. Him and and Bill Berry of R.E.M. are my two favorites. Um, Ah, I love Bill. And then, I, I don't know his name, but the drummer of NXS always knocked me out.
2: John Ferris it was one of the Ferris brothers. I don't remember if it's John anyway, yeah he's really yes, he was great too.
0: No one talks about this, but mm-hmm. alex van Halen it, you if you hear him playing, you always know it's him, and nobody else sounds like him. There's
2: never another sound like that ever. That's weird that you mentioned that. I was totally going nuts about Diver. Diver down the other day. I just, you know, that sometimes I just have to hear that record.
0: Right. So, for me, who doesn't play drums, and you, you, you do. Let me ask you a technical question. What the hell is he doing? Know. Because it's so amazing.
2: <laughs> I think he has. I'm I no. I don't really know, honestly. But it must be something with the. It could be the way he tunes stuff. First of all, he might have a spec. You know, specific sound of his drums. Literally a sound of his drums. But I feel like it's just his style, like just his, just his supersonic style. I don't yeah. Really know. <laughs> like you do always know when it's him. I kind of feel like you always know when, like, is it Warren, I'm thinking it might be, no, is it Warren Cocorillo? No, no, Terry Bozio. That's it. Terry yeah. Bozio from, yeah, well, you know, Missing Persons, but obviously Frank Zappa's band. Like, I think you always kind of know his style, too.
0: Just I think you're right. about it. I think you're right. I think Alex Van Halen is like the edge in the sense that like nobody else actually sounds like them ever. No.
2: No. Yeah, there're very few people that have that on any instrument really, right? I mean, but but for the drums, yeah, you can pick a pick a good handful. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, when you ever did you ever try other instruments and you went this just isn't me?
2: No, I not for like Playing rock and roll. I mean, I have played like clarinet in in grade school, but I was not drawn to anything else really. I I did eventually later on buy a bass because I'm like I'm gonna learn how to play, you know, uh, something by the Beatles. <laughs> I never picked that bass up. It's sitting in our basement downstairs, and Bob plays it, so it gets good use.
0: Now, tell me about the vision of Bertie So you you basically, I mean. Yes, it's more of a singer-songwriter outfit for you. Um, the first two mm-hmm. records came out within two or three years of each other. And then what happened?
2: And then, so, right, after, they, after those were released, I was kind of also over just, like, getting a band together, doing rehearsals, like, just trying to be the, the ringleader. It just wore me out a little bit, too. And then I st- when Bob and I got married, I moved to New Jersey. With him. So he already lived there. So I moved from New York City to New Jersey, which was kind of a shock, first of all. <laughs> but then I, you know, I mean, I grew up in the suburbs anyway, so I did, I was, you know, accustomed to them. Um, and I got into bird watching very, like, by chance. I was sort of Googling something on. I don't even know, I remember what I was looking for, but the Christmas bird, the Audubon Christmas bird count, count came up. So I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go out and count birds by myself in the neighborhood. Like, what was I thinking? But, um, so I I went out, I couldn't even recognize like what a house sparrow was. And I was so frustrated by that, that I the next day I went out and bought a, like a Peterson guide. And I studied up on my house sparrow because I knew that they were common. And I went out the next day and I like totally uh, positively ID'd a house sparrow. And from then I was completely, I don't know what, I can't explain why, but I was hooked on bird watching. So as that happened and I started getting really into bird watching and also getting up really super early to go bird watching, like getting up at like five o'clock or six o'clock in the morning, that's not really conducive to like playing rock and roll till like three in the morning. (laughs) Right. So, you know, you gotta, gotta really have a lot of uh, energy if you want to do that um i started i just kind of stopped playing music so much i was singing back up here and there for like a bunch of friends bands but more just getting into bird watching so i didn't play at all for about seven No, might be nine it might be like more like nine years that i didn't do anything music wise really and um then what happened was when my friend from psychic penguin when adam roth died like this is now three three this is three and a half years ago now um his brother charlie asked me to sing at the tribute um at webster hall and i i was like oh i haven't done done it in so long but yes I, i'm not gonna say no to that it's gonna be you know just i i wanted to do that and um it was an amazing night. It was an amazing tribute to an amazing person. And we, we, I was introduced to a lot of musical friends that I didn't know, but that Adam knew. So we, I had just met basically like a whole group of people that night and became friends with them. And, uh, then I started singing with Cheryl Marshall, who I still sing with. She's just an amazing, amazing singer. Um, so I started singing backup for her and her band and I then I started doing a little more here and there. I was singing with my friend Ed Rogers, another amazing musician. Bob and I are in his band at, at times, we're on and off in his band. Um, and I was not really thinking I would ever make a record again, but I one day was sitting on the couch and I got the lyrics and Ruby Crown Kinglet. Like I was just kind of they just sort of came to me. And then the melody came to me, and then in, like, 45 minutes, I had a song written. It was done. Like, I heard it, the whole thing in my head for Ruby Crown Kinglet, And then I just was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to make a record about birds. <laughs> and
1: that
2: was it. I was just like, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I didn't want to go by Birdie anymore. I just going by my name. But, you know, so Birdie doesn't really exist
1: anymore. But it is a record all about birds. Ruby Crown Kinglet. Yeah, i
0: sort of the flow state of bird watching and the flow state of music do they have something in common
2: oh that's a great question Alex and I think they do and I'll tell you what for me what it is it's when I'm watching birds I really am thinking about nothing else and I'm so happy and I'm just in nature and I'm just concentrating on seeing the beautiful birds and anything else around me that happens to you know fly my way like an insect or whatever you know right but, i mean for music then you get lost of course in singing and playing and you're lost in the beautiful music whether you're listening to it or you're making it you know i feel like if you're at a concert you're just in that moment at the concert and you're surrounded by people who are there for the same reasons and you're just all you have that energy so i think they both i don't want to say distract i guess but they both Force you to concentrate so much so on on them that you don't really think about anything else. and for me, that's a wonderful escape. you know I mean I definitely have anxiety and you know and get depressed depressed, depressed, I can't even talk. Um, and it just makes me not feel that way when I'm doing those things. so I think they both have a connection in that way.
0: They're meditative in their own ways.
2: They definitely are It's very zen as I mean bird watching is super zen it can be if you're not in a group of large you know large group of people if you're especially if you're just by yourself out in nature very zen very peaceful and and I just love it I I feel so uh happy and grateful that I found something like a little bit later in my life that I never knew it even existed. If you told me I was going to be a bird watcher when we knew each other back in 1989, I would have like laughed in your face. Not not that it's like, you know, I just it just never would have occurred to me. But I'm so happy that I I found something that I am so passionate about. And also it's funny because you know, you know people People don't sort of take the time and, like, look around. The birds were always here. I just never noticed them. It's it's insane, like, the what is around you that you don't even really pay attention to,
0: you know? And that sort of speaks to the new idea that – it's not a new idea, but, but trying to sell this modern culture, the idea of mindfulness, of being aware of what's around you.
2: Yeah, it's true. Just to – I think it's a – especially – with the, everything being so immediate, digital, you know, in your face all the time, it's very hard to break out of that cycle and just be with yourself and have, your, and have a thought in your head rather than being told what to think or what, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's coming at you instead of you generating your own thought.
0: <laughs> right. No, exactly. And were you surprised at, at your level of focus? when you started bird watching were you like wow i'm actually like super into this did it surprise you not that you could be focused cuz obviously you're an yeah. artist you can but the idea that you mm-hmm. could be focused on something so quiet and for so long did that reveal something to you about yourself that you didn't actually know
2: yeah well, I, I i think i always knew i was i mean i'm super ocd super detail oriented so i can get like lost in something but yes in the fact that i just it was like a new kind of... A new experience. It wasn't... Um, it was It was something that didn't have to do with my direct life, you know, in, in front of me, in my house or something. It was like an external thing that I was focused on. Um, well, again, like I said, that's always been there, but I just didn't really notice it. And once I did, it opened up this whole new world to me. And I have to also say that it's not just... It's, you know, seeing the birds and... In hearing them and that is a wonderful beautiful thing but i've also met such a wonderful group of people bird watching you know there's so many cool and funny and excellent people that i've met and become really good friends with so i have a whole new community of people that i know now and that we all share the same kind of joy and love and passion for birding and the environment and nature and they're a very very cool group just i just you know, it's brought something else into my life, which is, a, a you know, people with a shared passion, I guess.
0: Right. And I think people who are excited or, um, you know, really sort of uh, involved in something are always really interesting people.
2: You know, at least you know you have one thing in common, right? You you can right. always start – you have a starting point, and then you can branch out from there. Or, you know, you can just walk around and talk about birds all morning, and people are just fine with that, you know? <laughs> You
0: have a choice. (laughs) Well, right. I mean, and to me, I also wonder, like, if you, when you think about going places in the world, like, maybe you and Bob are going to take a trip to wherever. In your brain, do you think, oh, that's a whole new uh, locale where I can see totally new birds?
2: That is literally why we take vacations now. I drive the vacations in this (laughs) house. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like, we went to Texas a couple years ago for the Rio Grande Birding Festival. Before that, we went to California for the Monterey Birding Festival. Before yeah. that, we went to Arizona for a birding festival. So, yes, I mean, I have to say, um, vacations are are almost purely, at this point, bird destinations where I can see new and exciting birds. Now, Bob has sort of become an, a bird by osmosis. He actually likes to take pictures, so it's great because he's like my documentarian. And he gets excited when he gets a good shot of a bird, so it's rubbed off on him, and he's really actually a good burger too. He's become a really good burger
0: is and and is that based on the fact like how do you know someone's good like because I'm kind of curious to know like um
2: I'm just saying like he knows like if he says oh there's you know there's a jungle like he's right he kn- he he knows his birds um and when when I'm saying like is you know he 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 he's not like uh, an expert bird watcher or anything, but he's got a good grasp on what is what. But like anybody, I mean, if I'm going to a new region, I'm studying up on the birds. I certainly don't know like the local birds of like Washington state, you know, I'd have to really dive into my field guides for that.
0: Are you, if you're walking, say you're just, you're walking to the grocery store and you hear a bird, are you like, Oh, I know what that is. There's a, there's this happening. or There's this kind of bird is somewhere near.
2: Yeah, I'm not bad at that now. I've, I've gotten I, I can I can do birding by ear pretty well. And again, it's in my in my area. Like if I go to California, it probably isn't going to be so easy for me. But yes, in my local area, for sure, I can definitely ID a bird by ear right now. And and you know, I will get easily distracted and I'll look right past you if you're talking to me to see a bird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How, how how has your um how has your your bird watching practice informed the way that you make music like do you think that the discipline has sort of um fed into your art
1: hmm
2: well i mean for the creation of this record it did clearly um in terms of ly- lyrics, at least, I don't right. know about musically. I don't think. I don't think maybe musically, but stop. You know, instrumentation-wise or anything. I. But obviously, for sure, the the whole record was inspired by either events that happened to me while watching birds, or me kind of wanting to tell a story through a bird's eye view. You know, like. Uh, So I definitely think I was, I've been influenced by it and, you know, my passion for bird watching just sort of turned into a whole project. (laughs) I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know how to explain it
0: really. No, I get it. And, you know, it's interesting because I, when I was 14 years old, something organic happened where I walked up to my bedroom. I might've been 12. I walked up to my bedroom. Mm -hmm. I pulled out a cassette Mm -hmm. player. And I started hosting a show. What I'm trying to say is, I was the first uh. podcaster, and I, you know, I have these like old cassettes of me hosting shows from 1979, uh. 1980. And it, it turns out there was a precedent. You know, I have a great uncle who was a DJ in in World War One, and so it, there was something there. And I wonder for you, we we trace the drumming back. Was there any kind of bird? Fanatic in your family, maybe someone raised bird. Was there anything in your past where you kind of curious to know if anyone in the family had a proclivity towards birds of any kind?
2: I have not thought about that, and I, I, but I don't. I also know that right now in my family there is not a bird watcher to be seen. So, so not not anyone who's currently alive at least. So I don't know though in the past, you know if any great grandparents or anything were were into birds um i really don't know i'll have to dig into my roots i guess i have to ask my my parents maybe
0: yeah i mean it's a very specific question for ancestry.com <laughs> <laughs> do i have
2: a leaf for
1: that i don't
0: know <laughs> yeah. yeah i don't know where on the site does it mention i can say anything about birds uh well i think it's interesting um now, in terms of the sequencing of the record and how you envisioned the song cycle, how did you sequence this thing?
1: Um, you
2: mean, like, literally, like, how did I decide on the order of the Yeah, Is that yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote out literally, like, 25 different orders, and I kept tweaking, like, one song here and one song there. I don't, <laughs> I have it in my little notebook still, um, but I knew I wanted to start with Veery because I thought Veery was a song that was it would, kind of would appeal to everybody. You know, if you like a good pop song, well, the whole thing is kind of poppy and whatever, but the, I, I just thought Veery would grab people so that you'd want to hear more, you know? And so I knew I wanted to start with that, and I also knew I wanted to end with Migration Is Over just because it's like... <laughs> to me, it's like uh, Andrew's sisters meets like Family Guy. Like, it just has that... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, jazz
2: hands kind of feel, and it's like a funny kind of ending. For the record, if you read the title, you might think it's a sad, you know, migration's over, like all the birds die. But I'm, you know, it's actually a totally funny song about bird watching in Central Park when you know migration is a, nearing the end, and there's just like more bar- bird watchers there than than, than birds. So, <laughs> so I knew I wanted to end with that. But then I just really played around with, with the other songs, and I felt like I came up with a a good sequence. I also knew that I wanted Bald Eagle, which is the a cappella song. I wanted it to be filed, followed by the most rockin' song on the album, which is Violet Crown Hummingbird. Like I thought that would be a great transition.
0: So there really was a lot of thought in terms of like how to how to put this together in terms of order. Because it plays to me, uh, kind of perfectly. You know, there's there's a real arc oh. and flow to how you did it.
2: Thank you. I think it's really important to, you know, I'm an album kind of person. That everything's like a single nowadays. I, I like a full album. I want to sit with an album and listen to it from start to finish. So I really try to concentrate on how everything would go, you know, into into the next song. How is it going to sound going into the next song? And Bob helped me with that, too, because he was sort of like making sure that there might not be songs in the same key all grouped together, you know? That was another thing we were
0: thinking about. I am going to send this to you. There is an essay that came out about two years ago. It's in Best American Essays, and I think it's two thousand fifteen okay. or sixteen. And it's about, um, well, it's about bird watching, and and it's about people going to really exotic locales and sort of sacrificing, you know, their health and well being for the sake of finding mm-hmm. a, a bird that they thought was extinct or whatever. And it, and it gets fairly uh, gnarly in there, but I like mm-hmm. it because it's sort of the idea of. It's not really about bird watching. It's about following your passion and how far you'll go to follow that passion. Um wow. And I would I, to read that. it's so cool. I'll send it to you. It's such a cool. It's such a cool piece. But I'm also wondering for you, like how far or exotic um, do you want to go with with bird watching?
2: I, I I think about it too. Like I I definitely have dream trips. I mean, I really want to go to New Zealand. I want to go to belize I want to do you know like south you know south american birding that kind of thing i also have a huge fear of flying so (laughs) it's kind of prohibitive and (laughs) i know i just keep saying i'll get over it i'll get over it but um i haven't yet i do force myself to make these trips here and there Uh, but so in that respect i i'm not sure i honestly I'm happy with seeing my local birds. I really am. To me, to see a blue jay, that's my favorite bird, and they're in my backyard every day. So I'm not that kind of crazy, like not that there's anything crazy about listing or trying to, you know, um, chase birds. I don't, I think that's fabulous. I'm just not that kind of bird watcher, although I'd love to have the opportunity to travel and see as many as I can. If I don't, it's not going to kill me, you know?
0: Right, right. What, how does it feel, by the way, to make a record again? Like, isn't that cool?
2: Yeah, it was It was so cool. I, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I, I just never really thought it would happen again. But and then when it was – really, I was kind of cracking the whip. I was like, no, we're going to – once I decided we're going to make a record, I mean, we were going to make a record, and it was not going to be, like, dragged out for as long as possible. So, I mean, I really was trying to adhere to a schedule – and the great thing about it is, of course, we recorded everything in our in our Chrome Top studio in our basement. So we had the, this was like the maiden voyage of Chrome Top. And uh, it, obviously it worked out well. So we had all of the, you know, we did everything here. There's not one thing except for some, one keyboard thing that wasn't done in the studio in the basement. So yeah, it was exhilarating to make another record. It really was. And to have the musicians I had on this record, I mean, you know, just like having Sim Kane play drums and Charlie Giordano come play keyboards and, you know, accordion, Bob playing the amazing guitar, you know, Ray, Ray Nissen, I have to give huge props to, he orchestrated the horns, he orchestrated the, you know, some of the strings and brass arrangements and stuff, he did an amazing job, it's like he played bass on the whole thing. So, Everybody on this record, my horn, the horn players are fabulous. Cheryl, Deb, and Marianne singing backups. It just was, it was fabulous. And I don't know if you also know. Do you know? Do you know um, James Mastro? He used to be in Health and Happiness Show. Yeah. Bongos. Yeah. Yeah. So James was on the record. He did the solo for. Well, he did the song Blackbird of Blue Warbler. He did it a lead guitar on that song. And he actually is, um, you know, in Ian Hunter's rant Band now. And if you haven't seen that band, you must, because you would love it.
0: I haven't seen it. And I, and I, I remember the Health and Happiness Show came out on Crop Duster.
2: They sure did. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I know James from, like, Aquanetta's days. But, yeah, Health and Happiness Show, definitely. They were a Crop Duster band.
0: When you look back and think almost a decade of not playing, do you reverse engineer and go, God, why did I take that time off? Or do you think that was actually a good thing to do?
2: I think it was a good thing to do. I think I don't you know, I don't know if what I would I say it was a good thing or if I would think say it was a good thing or a bad thing. I it just was what it was and I don't go, oh, I regret that or, you know, I wish I was playing music. I mean, I was doing what I wanted to do and I still do it. And I was bird watching constantly. You know, I'm freelance also in my what I in my job, so I get what I do is I take off six weeks in the spring and six weeks in the fall and I for migration and I just go bird watching so to be able to do that too is is, I'm very lucky so I don't think it was something that I regret that I stopped playing music um and I in a way it might have been a good thing because when I came back to it I really came back to it with I was sort of refreshed you know what I mean I was like yeah I want to do this again and I'm ha- I am happy to do it again.
0: How are you with the Aquanetas girls? Are you are you in touch with them? I don't are they I heard they're yeah. back. Like what's going on with them?
2: Um they're back. Um no. Well, first of all, um Claudine hasn't played bass in years. So, she she's not playing music. But um I, t- I definitely talked to her. I saw her like a few months ago. Um Jill is Jill and Debbie did play together. Um it was a show. I think it was a. I could be wrong. It might have been a benefit, but I, I'm not exactly 100% sure. But they did do a few songs together. Um, so yeah, Debbie's in another band called Psycho Positive, and Jill uh, was playing with Tammy Face Starlight. F- with uh, they were like they were in the Mike Hunt band together. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which was fabulous. Um, so yeah, but I'm in touch with all the girls, and we're. We're friendly to this day. Yes, I love my I love my girls.
0: You love your Aquanetas. I actually it was so funny. I actually had an Aquanetas poster up uh, in my <laughs> dorm room at college. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. I I love. Wasn't it wasn't it Love with the Proper Stranger? Wasn't that the record?
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> That's
2: right, Alex. You have a good memory. Yeah, Love with the Proper Stranger.
0: And uh, I think the single was Diplomat.
2: Yes, and that that was the first single. That was the first single in video, and then we then Beach Party was the uh, follow up.
0: <laughs> That's right. So if this interview has proven anything, it's my memory is still not bad.
2: <laughs> Mine is so bad. Yours is so good. I'm like envious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like you're like Kim Rogers. Who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs>
2: and of course, like the second, you know, she's I was like, oh my god, Kim. <laughs>
0: I love Kim. Um, well, you know, this is a beautiful, beautiful record, and I am I am so happy you're back. And I'm going to say don't wait nine more years. You're back.
2: Oh, all right. Well, everyone keeps saying what's your next one? Like there are insects or there are, you know, whatever. I'm like, I don't know what's the next one. I'm just going to concentrate on this one for a while. But thank you for saying that, Alice. I appreciate it.
0: Well, it's really thank nice you. to talk to you again. Let's not wait 30 years to chat again.
2: I don't want to wait 30 years to talk, to talk again. I promise we it will be sooner than that, my friend. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Hey, uh, well, listen. Who else can I talk to about Alex Van Halen and bird watching?
1: <laughs> Nobody.
0: Nobody. And- Stephanie Seymour, ah, I love her. She's so great. Uh, That is our first conversation in 30 years, and I thought uh, we got along great. It was like uh, no time had passed. She's so cool, and she's always been cool. She's always been like that. She's one of those evergreen cool people. (laughs) You must know some folks like that. Uh, Anyway, I've always adored her, and you will adore her too. Go to her Bandcamp page. Stephanie Seymour.Bandcamp.com, and uh, by that record, There Are Birds. As for me, well, you can go to my Bandcamp page too, uh, SeanMendez.Bandcamp.com. No, uh, I don't have a Bandcamp page because I don't have a band. But I do have a website, AlexGreenOnline.com. You can visit me there or follow me on Twitter at EmbersEditor or follow me on Instagram, EmbersPodcast. Or maybe you're old school and you're an email kind of person. Go ahead and email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Who do you want on the show? Who do you want me to bring back on the show? That's the place to put your requests in. So go ahead and drop me a line. Now, I am happy to report that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available all the places that you get podcasts. Spotify, iTunes, Last FM, Stitcher, Google Play, and now you can find us on iHeartRadio. So wherever it is that you get your podcast, get us there. And uh, please subscribe, leave us a rating, maybe a nice comment. We read these things. Okay, that's all the businessy stuff that I have. It's all out of the way. I do want to say, though, thank you as always for your support of the program. It really does mean the world to us. Why do I come back week in and week out and host this show? Well, I come back for you. Ah, kind of a nice sentimental note to end the show on. But an even nicer note to end it on will come from Stephanie Seymour. This is from her new album, There Are Birds. This is Northern Mockingbird. Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio.